Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. Less than a month ago, Russia began a military operation in Syria that is ongoing to this day. So far, the operation has consisted of airstrikes in support of the Syrian government and of Bashar al-Assad, and there seems to be some coordination between Russia and Iran, which has deployed troops on the ground. Russia's direct military involvement in Syria adds a complicated layer to an already complex conflict. On the line with me to discuss Russia's military and political strategy for Syria and the implications of this military action for the longer-term prospects of an internationally negotiated resolution to this conflict is Michael Kaufman. He's an analyst at the CNA Corporation and a fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center. In this conversation, Kaufman offers some clear-headed analysis of the political implications of Russia's military intervention, and I think he does an excellent job of unpacking some of the complexity of the current state of the Syrian conflict. And you can read some of this analysis on World Politics Review, which is sponsoring this episode. World Politics Review provides uncompromising analysis of critical global trends to give policymakers, business people, and academics the context they need to have the confidence they want. The good people at World Politics Review are offering Global Dispatch's podcast listeners a two-week free trial and then a 50% discount on an annual subscription. To redeem this offer, go to about.worldpoliticsreview.com dispatches, and I'll post a link on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And now here is Michael Kaufman of the CNA Corporation and Woodrow Wilson Center. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The principal motivation and the intervention is driven by the military situation on the ground, right? And the reality was that even though he had done fairly well several years into the Civil War, okay, in the last year, Assad had been losing. And after several reversals back in the spring of this year, his regime sounded kind of the alarm to both Russia and Iran that they need to come rescue him, or otherwise, uh, if he loses more terrain, eventually they'll be cut off and will capitulate. Military events drive this intervention first and foremost. It very much impinges as well on Russia's relationship with the West and with the United States and with the Europeans. And, but those are all tertiary factors ultimately, and, and they don't explain the timing and the, or the purpose of the intervention. It's really about saving the Syrian regime. And was the Syrian regime faltering because of the uh, increasing strength of, of ISIS? Uh, no, the problem was right. Not so much ISIS actually. What was happening is that uh, both North and South, the 
Syrian regime's territory was getting gobbled up. And the real problem for them was Jabal al-Nusra and this uh, coalition of about 20 groups called Army of Conquest, which includes a lot of groups that Saudi Arabia and Turkey and the United States are sponsoring, uh, particularly in the north. And so they're taking quite a bit of territory in the north and in the center and in the south. And uh, from a military perspective, basically, you know, the Syrian army was off in a very bad way. Uh, and if the Russians didn't come save them along with the Iranians with this military operation, then, you know, they probably wouldn't be lasting a lot longer. Um, so what is this military operation looking like? I mean, there's a lot said about the limited utility of air power in a situation like this. Um, so how is Russia at all tipping the scales of events on the ground? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a pretty thoughtful use of very limited military power, right? So in and of itself, um, 34 fixed-wing aircraft and about 17 helicopters aren't going to do a world of difference. Um, that being said... Uh, what they really do is they create momentum uh, behind a new offensive. They change the morale of the Syrian army. They really demoralize the opposition, which is what having you know, air power being used against you does. Uh, but the bigger impact is also essentially muscling you know, the U.S. out of the airspace of, over that part of Syria. And right, in a we've way, we've seen the, the the U.S. sort of using Russia's intervention as a pretext for not wanting to move forward with plans to, for example, establish a no-fly zone. Right. 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 I mean, the no-fly zone idea was always, in in my opinion, not a particularly good one. Nor did it have any legal basis. But uh, I think you know it's interesting. This intervention ultimately comes on the heels of both the U.S. president and the Russian president sticking to policies they chose four and a half years ago when this war began. The U.S. president wanted to avoid uh, U.S. military entanglement in this conflict, basically, you know, no matter what, even if, it, even if there was considerable price for an action. And the Russian president said that he would support Assad and the Syrian regime, even if the cost of supporting them continued to go up. So now that Russia's intervened, the United States essentially bowed out of that part of the conflict, which it never wanted to seriously participate in anyway. And, and, and another sort of diplomatic consequence of this direct Russian involvement, at least to me, uh, seems to be that, you know, um, that, that Putin and Russia's arguments for intervention um, are sort of getting a wider airing. Basically, they're saying, uh, and, and you could probably summarize this better than I, that ultimately the only way that a group like ISIS is going to be defeated is by a, the government succeeding, by having a, a strong Syrian government reestablish order over its territory. And that might mean that Assad needs to, say, needs to stay. And at least for me, um, there's more logic to that argument then the U.S.'s counter uh, argument, which is that Assad is the reason that these groups um, have arisen in the first place. Therefore, the longer he stays, the more fuel you are you know, giving to, to the fire uh, that allows a group like ISIS to flourish. Right. Yeah. I mean, so originally, you know, back in 2011, the Russian position was very arguable and could have all been wrong. But now in 2015, yes, the Russian position makes a lot more sense than, than the American one. And I mean, and, and the reality is that I think from a U.S. perspective, you know, privately, it's viewed that way as well. The thing is that the United States' allies like Saudi Arabia and Turkey that are very committed to uh, getting Assad removed from power. And a lot of what the United States has done has essentially been to support and facilitate what is really their policy, and, but while the U.S. policy is focused on dealing with Islamic State. You know, 
the Russian intervention right now is that's structured. What they're looking to do ideally is to, by and large, eliminate what moderates may exist, which are you know very relative words in Syria, and eliminate that space between Assad, Jabhat al-Nusra, which is al-Qaeda affiliate, and Islamic State. And essentially what they're doing is clarifying the conflict, right? And and this is ultimately from from a strategy perspective. This is a contest between two sides who wanted to clarify this conflict to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia and Turkey wanted to make it real simple by getting rid of Assad and the Syrian regime, right? And then the people involved would be the Islamic State and their proxies. Whereas Russia, on the other hand, has a different proposal, which is they will eliminate Saudi Arabia's and Turkey's proxies, and the people left will be the Syrian regime and the Syrian army, and then the rest of them will be Islamic jihadists, which makes the situation quite simple for the United States. And so are, are, is Russia doing that in their choice of, of targets so far, and yeah. also in the introduction of, of Iranian ground troops on the ground? Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, of course, they went after uh, the army of conquest, which is the real threat to Assad to begin with, uh, to the north, and targets around uh, Pakistan and Homs, because the Islamic State is not a primary threat to Assad, and you know that's why Russia isn't really going after the Islamic State. It's largely left that to the United States, take care of um yeah right now i think the big push is an offensive south of aleppo which basically looks to cut into idlib and province and another push around latakia and homes so i mean there's nothing stopping russia from being successful in this operation it would seem i mean if if they can successfully as you said um clarify the differences in this uh uh, conflict by eliminating the so-called, you know, moderates and only having extremists on one side and the regime on the other side. Um, you know, it, it seems that like the next logical step for Russia would be sort of a diplomatic offensive, right? To try to at least peel away some of America's allies, maybe in Europe, um, off the mm-hmm. position that Assad's ouster needs to be a precursor to any, um, you know, international diplomatic uh, accord for Syria. Right. Well, I mean, two points there is, you know, it's a very big if uh, how successful the joint Russian-Iranian offensive can be, right? Russia's delivered on its part, provide the air power, okay, provide the political cover, muscle the United States out of, out of the area. Essentially, they have free reign to do what they want to do, right? The second part, of course, is winning it, and Iran has to deliver along with the Syrian army on the ground. And what their capabilities are uh, you know, what's left to the Syrian army, frankly, it's very debatable. Plus, you have to remember that Saudi Arabia and Turkey are probably going to double down. At least Saudi Arabia is for sure, right? The, Russia's hoping it could make Turkey hedge its best, but Saudi Arabia is going to double down, funnel more weapons, more munitions to its proxy. So it could be a hard fight. I think the Russian approach is really that this should be a short, high-intensity campaign, right? We're not talking even, you know, many months. We're talking... A couple of months or weeks and whatever they gain they gain right and then afterwards these forces will be attrited and there'll be no point sticking around to slog it through so they have already kind of opened up the diplomatic flank to push for political settlement right and you know and as part of this process of course first they're looking to come to america's european allies who very much would be interested in negotiating mm-hmm. and they're not burdened by the position that this the u.s administration took in 2011 which is that assad must go right Mm-hmm. So they have a lot more leeway. Uh, and Russia's and, essentially and probably also, I should sure. say, on, for, on, on Europe's part, they also have a more proximate interest in um, ending the conflict sooner rather than later. 
um, you know, whatever political consequences in, in Syria, um, you know, result because of the, the, the refugee crisis. I mean, they have a, a, a more direct interest in stopping uh, the outflow of migrants than, say, the U.S. does. And so if Europe thinks they can do that through some compromised um, uh, situation in which Assad remains part of the uh, political landscape, then I would imagine they would take that. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, Russia's uh, exactly enticing them with a proposal of a contact group, you know, led by UN Special Envoy that will develop kind of a, a roadmap for peace in Syria, which, you know, if you think that that sounds exactly like what happened with Bosnia, then you're right. You know, it's meant to be. And it's very appealing for the Europeans to take this approach. Uh, we, the Russian, un unpack that idea a, a little bit of the, the contact group and, and its relationship to the, the Bosnia situation. What does that kind of look like? Well, uh, essentially, it's sort of put together a set of, um, you know, the key players in this conflict and several major European powers, right, and develop a contact group of countries that are going to engage politically uh, in negotiations with uh, Syria and then try to develop a political roadmap for settlement in this conflict, right? And so Russia's come to the Europeans first. Um, then it'll look to, of course, engage Turkey, Saudi Arabia. But if it gains any traction, that's when we'll pull in the United States. Because, frankly, the United States has absolutely no plan, as I'm sure you've seen, right? The U.S. plan is to conduct a separate and complementary campaign against the Islamic State. But there's no path forward that the United States has identified for the Syrian civil war. Mm -hmm. Right. And Europeans are naturally enticed by this idea. And, and the person, you know, pushing, leading the effort would be a U.N. special envoy. Um, and that will kind of make it not only impartial, but it's essentially Russia offering, you know, to have a plan for Syria that it will support rather than block in the UN Security Council. But the concept behind it ultimately will be, you know, if you look several moves ahead, right, Russia will propose some kind of elections in Syria, and it'll be a long process whereby... Uh, Assad will end up staying in Syria for quite a while longer if he ever leaves, you know, because Russia will also argue that Assad should be able to stand for free elections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but right. this was not like too different than the Geneva plan of several years ago that Kofi Annan helped broker, um, that there would be some sort of political transition. But that, of, of course, fell apart. Um, let me uh, just ask you, uh, so we are speaking on uh, Wednesday uh, and later this week in Vienna, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. John Kerry and Sergei Lavrov. And now it was recently um, uh, revealed that the Iranian foreign minister will participate in, in Syria political talks. What do you expect to... Um, to 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 happen in these talks what do you think uh will be discussed between the players and do you see any possible um opportunities for you know consensus or, or for moving the, the the ball forward diplomatically even if marginally yeah absolutely i mean look on the one thing john Kerry's approach is it's always worth talking right he always believes that something can get done the russians are pretty serious about uh finding a negotiation and the political settlement, most importantly, no matter what happens, they have to have a political settlement, a political solution fairly quickly in this conflict in order to uh, seal in, lock in any military gains they make. And they understand that, look, the point of the military intervention, right, yes, it is, it is to make gains on the ground 
it is to wipe out as much as they can of the immediate threat to the Syrian army. But it's about also about shifting the entire dynamics of this conflict and forcing the United States and the West to come on board with some kind of political settlement, uh, whereby Russia and Iran retain their influence and Assad doesn't have to capitulate, right? And so that's what this process is. And they're running in parallel now because they're not going to start it at the end of combat operations. They need to run it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, concurrently. I guess, you know, aside from, say, oh, the Obama administration losing face because they said from the beginning that Assad must go, I mean, mm-hmm. this seems to be a pretty um, uh, useful exit strategy for the U.S., right? I mean, if if the, the situation unfolds, as, as you says, as you say, I mean, it will involve... It, it will, you know, result in the reduction in, in, in the, the conflict and the suffering and the, you know, the, and I think there's a lot of moral urgency to do that. Um, but it will also do so in a way that doesn't really um, put a lot of, that doesn't really have a lot of American stakes, uh, you know, on, on the ground or, or, or the U.S. is not a huge player in this one way or, or the other. So it's sort of a resolution of the Syrian conflict without the U.S. having to do too much. Right. I think that, you know, the Russian intervention had already pushed U.S. policy to a place where John Kerry had said that uh, we are more than willing to contemplate a much longer transition for Bashar Assad. And the entire Russian concept was to get the United States to agree to the prospect that Assad would stay, you know, some longer period of time, perhaps beyond this presidential administration. So from American perspective, they're already there. From a wider perspective, Yes, you're right. I mean, the U.S. goal is to see some kind of resolution to this conflict without having U.S. military entanglement in it. That's correct. The bigger issue for America is probably uh, less negotiations with the Russians and more how to manage the two allies, Saudi Arabia and Turkey, who have made very big stakes in this conflict. Their position is mutually exclusive from the Russian one. The U.S. has stepped back, so it's essentially now just a proxy war between Russia, Iran, and Syria and Saudi Arabia and Turkey on the other end. And I think the Russians and the Iranians think that they could win that. So the big question is whether the United States um, can find some middle ground or can convince Saudi Arabia and Turkey of the merits of such an approach or if, you know, they're going to have to fight it out. And the big question is what will happen on the ground, you know. This is fascinating, these moving chess pieces. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately the, the context is a huge moral failing and, and more suffering that will prolong so long as this contact, this conflict keeps dragging on. Um, any, any other parting thoughts? Anything else you wanted to add before, uh, before we go? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's important for you to understand that the U.S. position, the Russian position, fundamentally are not that far off. It's just that part of the problem in this whole conflict is the mutually exclusive goals, right, of allies and parties and proxies that they have on the ground. And one of the big things that stands in question right now is very much what this military campaign can achieve. So the military campaign plays into a political strategy. And the facts on the ground, as they change over the next two months, they will dictate whatever hand Russia and Iran really have to play in this political process. That's it. All right. Well, uh, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, thank you for listening. That was actually very clarifying for me personally, and I suspect it was for you as well. Uh, as always, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg if you have suggestions of people I should talk to or topics I should cover. 
Also, do consider leaving a review on iTunes. It helps other people discover the podcast by listing the podcast higher in search rankings. So thank you again in advance for writing a review. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.